If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. You can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com busted. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer, the greatest tag team wrestler of all time, Bully Ray and I talk all about Monday Night Raw, especially the main event between Asuka and Charlotte, and Charlotte getting her win back even though she didn't lose on Sunday. Sound confusing? Well, it is, and we talk about it on today's edition of the Busted Open Podcast. Also, we have a fantastic, and I mean must-listen interview with with Eric Bischoff. We talk all about the pros and cons right now in pro wrestling during this pandemic. All of that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Not an awful Monday Night Raw. Uh, had me entertained for most of the time. I liked Edge and Orton. Um, I don't know if the show got me super excited for backlash that's coming up on Sunday, but I thought it was a good sh- a good show last night. What were your thoughts? Uh, I would say fair to Midland. You know what? What? What do they say? The last thing you remember is <laughs> the last. Actually, the last thing you remember is the last thing that you remember, which is the end. So I have a big feeling, especially based on a lot of our discussions the last couple of weeks, Bully, that the end of the main event last night is going to be a big focal point on today's show. I basically, I just threw out a tweet real quick and basically asked wrestling fans in the nation, did Asuka kick at two and a half? Yeah, it might have been even you know closer to three than that, but she kicked. I mean, I mean, it was it was a definitive kick out, correct? Yes, it was a it was a kick out. I actually uh, sent out the tweet last night. Maybe the WWE needs to bring Jimmy Corderas back, somebody who actually uh, knows how to present a three count in the middle of the ring. Jimmy Corderas is sitting in his house in Canada right now, and it moved a little bit, and he just spilled hot coffee all over his nuts. Ow! <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. But, uh, you know, there's always an issue, Bully, that when you see something like that, when you're like, what, was that three? When you question it, and then, you know, in any sporting event, what do, what do they do? Right after something that's a little controversial, they go to the instant replay. The WWE did that last night, and typical WWE – Right before the three count, they went to the raw graphics. <laughs> I was like, are you shitting me? <laughs> it's, it seemed so blatant that I'm wondering if it's part of a story. But then again, no, it couldn't be part of a story because it happened right in front of the ref's face. Yeah. I, re- I rewound it just to see where Cone was positioned and how they did it. She she definitely kicked. She didn't kick it two and a half. She kicked it like two and three quarters. But mm-hmm. there, I've seen much closer. You know, uh, you know, two and three quarter counts be kicked out of before many times throughout history. That was pretty definitive. I don't know if the, something went wrong, but man, when things like that go so wrong. And first of all, Charlotte and Asuka had their typical Charlotte and Asuka match, which Great. was very, very, very good. Then they felt the need to do the stuff with Nia, blah, 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 whatever. But as far as a match is concerned, once again, two of the top workers in the company in Charlotte and Asuka getting the job done, entertaining us, good physical match. But when something like that happens, if it's me, I'm acknowledging it. 
and using it for storyline moving forward. Like, the, the, Asuka has to have a rematch with Charlotte. Now, will it happen? Probably not, because it'll be forgotten about after we talk about it today. And unless WWE replays it on next Monday night show, who cares? We're done. Let's move on. That's what they do. But man, that was a definitive kickout. And it, it kind of plays to the argument on social media with a lot of fans whether these are fans that don't like Charlotte or even fans who have open minds. Look at the match the night before. Look at TakeOver. Look at In Your House. EO wins the NXT Women's Championship from Charlotte Flair, but does not beat Charlotte Flair. So Charlotte loses her championship by never getting pinned, never tapping out, then, the very next night, Charlotte beats Asuka. That's protection right there. Yeah, the, it, it's a bit too much, Bully. Like, me, the biggest Charlotte supporter. And again, this is not on Charlotte, but it is adding to the, the fuel to the fire of a lot of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. You have Charlotte not lose the title, and she made sure she mentioned that last night on Monday Night Raw that she never lost that title. She didn't get pinned, and she didn't submit. She made sure she said that on Monday Night Raw last night. Then she's in a match with Asuka. Now, Asuka has a match with Nia Jax for that WWE Championship at Backlash on Sunday. Why would you have Asuka lose a match just before a pay-per-view? It really doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, you know, they could have done that a million different ways. I mean, WWE is extremely formulaic. You saw it last night. When there's a brawl, all of a sudden the brawl becomes a tag team match. And we saw that at the beginning of Monday Night Raw. Very formulaic when it comes to the WWE. But it's the same thing in that main event. I knew bully that Nia Jax was showing up at the end of that match. Of course she is because it's Nia and Asuka at the pay-per-view on Sunday. So you knew there was going to be shenanigans. So being that there's going to be shenanigans, there's a hundred different ways that match could have ended. So I don't really know why they went that route like they did, and I don't understand why they would have Asuka lose to Charlotte just before a pay-per-view. And I totally agree with you, Bully. We've had the same discussion when it came to WrestleMania 35 with Ronda and Becky, and Ronda definitively had her shoulder up at the two count, and then it went back down. Uh uh, Corey Graves actually mentioned it in the match. You know, when they showed replays later on, they showed it. Now, obviously, who knows if they're ever going to go back to that again because we really don't know the future of Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch when it comes to their WWE careers. But, Bully, there was no mention at it at all. No mention from the commentators. They hit it in, in the instant replay. I don't think they're going back to that, Bully. I really don't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. And you just asked why. and But I think you've answered your own question about why they do things the way they do it. And the word that you used is formulaic. And that, some, that formulaic way of doing things gets them by and gets them to where they need to be. Is, is next week's pay-per-view one of their bigger pay-per-views? No, it's a backlash is just one of their monthly pay-per-views. Is what it is, monthly pay-per-view. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Let's get past it. Hopefully the show is good. And mm. uh, yeah, then we'll keep moving on because what, what do we got after that? What do we got? We got SummerSlam. That's what we really need to worry about. Uh, I think SummerSlam is next unless there's another pay-per-view in between. I don't know. No, uh, there is. There's one more pay-per-view before we get to SummerSlam in August. Okay, but it's still formulaic. And yes. The, the, the protection uh, of Charlotte, uh, this is very twofold. I am... I completely understand why a company like the WWE or any other wrestling company out there would feel the need to protect a top talent, especially a top talent like Charlotte, which I could make a case for is the biggest star in WWE, not Roman Reigns, not Seth Rollins. Charlotte Flair is the biggest star there. Um, 
Was Steve Austin protected? Hmm. It's a pretty easy question, Dave. I mean, I would think, you know, your biggest star, there's some protection that goes on with your biggest star. Some. (laughs) Steve Austin was mega protected, but we never got the feeling that Steve Austin was being protected. No. Was Was The Rock protected? Yeah, I'm sure. We never got the feeling that The Rock was being protected. Was Steve Austin forced down our throats? I never felt like he was being forced down our throat, but, but he, he was. probably was, but yep. it didn't feel that way. Correct. And was Roman Reigns, uh, I'm sorry, was The Rock forced down our throats? Uh, no, uh, yes, he was, but it didn't feel like The Rock was being forced down our throat. How come we feel like Roman has been forced down our throat and protected? And how come we feel Charlotte has been forced down our throat and protected? Well, because people don't feel the same way about Roman Reigns and Charlotte as they did the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And there there lies the, the problem moving forward of guys and gals not being to that level of superstardom and not being so over that people don't care if they're being force fed or protected. Last over the past two nights, I kind of saw what people have been bitching and complaining about, especially the way she was protected over the past few nights. Like last night, they felt the need to get Charlotte her win back. That, that's, that, that's the booking. We need to get Charlotte her win back, despite the fact that she did not really lose. That's protection right there. And people... Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Charlotte is the top of the food chain, a superior athlete, a superior wrestler, and deserves everything she gets because she has personally earned everything she gets. But I understand the perspective of wrestling fans when they say she's getting force-fed, they're protecting her. I'm not saying this has anything to do with her last name. I'm having I'm saying she is the golden goose and thus they will protect the golden goose. I and I I understand what you're saying, Bully, and I'm a huge Charlotte Flair fan. I mean, just listen to my comments from last week and you would understand that. But how does that help Asuka? Like, how does anything that they did with Charlotte last night help? sell a pay-per-view where the pay-per-view is Asuka and Nia Jax. Like, I get, you get the interference from Nia Jax, you know, and there's, there's the understanding why the distraction and everything else, but it makes no sense to me. Asuka is just, first of all, Asuka got a championship title, which, honestly, Bully, she did not earn. Now, she earned a, a chance at going up, in a match for the championship title. But Becky, who is your biggest star, handed that championship title to Asuka. Asuka did not earn that that championship belt. And then you have a match with Charlotte, which I, I think is a match that everyone wants to see. They're talking about the great rivalry. And they talk about what a great match they had at WrestleMania in New Orleans. Well, Charlotte won that match at WrestleMania in New Orleans. So the person who needs to shine more than anybody is Asuka. She's the champion, and she has the match at the pay-per-view. There is no reason in the world why Asuka in a main event on Monday Night Raw, less than a week away from a pay-per-view, is losing a match. It makes absolutely no sense. Zero sense. You know, Dave, I will agree with you about your head and shoulders comment. You said that Charlotte is head and shoulders above the rest of the women's division. And I agree when it comes to the push. She is head and shoulders above any other woman there when it comes to getting pushed because she gets more of a push than anybody else. And it's not even close. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing to me what's happened with Charlotte in the last 48 hours. No reason for Charlotte not to get pinned in, in your house for NXT TakeOver, and there is absolutely no reason in the world why she should be beating Asuka in a main event on Monday Night Raw. And if you want to give her her win back on Monday Night Raw, let's just assume that the finish last night 
went a little wonky and Asuka kicked and she wasn't supposed to. Let's just assume it was supposed to be a clean finish due to Nia interfering. Nia interferes, Charlotte gets the one, two, three because we wanted to give Charlotte her win back. What should have happened on Sunday? She should have lost. She should have been pinned. Exactly. She should, she, should have, she should have definitively lost. And and they brought it up on Raw. It was a major story on Raw last night where she interrupted. She's like, wait a second. I never lost. I never got pinned and I never tapped out. I did not lose last night. So you're right. If you're going to give her her win back, number one, you don't have to do it against the WWE champion who has a match on a pay-per-view. But she, she just said it. She never lost on Sunday night not only did she not lose her championship she starts raw by reminding everybody that she never lost her championship or lost period then she gets her win then she gets the win back you can kind of hear fans yelling and screaming through their twitter machines I understand why the WWE does what they do what they do, but I also understand why fans are yelling and screaming about this. Soccer is a passion that goes beyond the sport, and Sirius XMFC's podcast, More Than a Game, brings that passion to you. Can you believe it? In each episode, FC's panel of experts take a deep dive into club histories, iconic grounds, Anfield has erupted, bitter rivalries, and so much more. There's nothing like a derby day in Manchester. New episodes are available weekly by downloading the Pandora app and searching More Than a Game. Confusion. You asked me at the st- at the top of the show, did I like Monday Night Raw? I said it was a good show. You know, it flowed well, kept me entertained. You know, I didn't take a nap at an hour number two, which I usually do, sleepy time bobos before the show was over. That did not happen last night. But I will say one word that I would use to describe Monday Night Raw from last night is confusing. It was a very confusing show. Obviously, the end was confusing. Why would you have Charlotte Flair beat your WWE champion on the main event of Monday Night Raw when you're building Asuka and Nia Jax for a pay-per-view? I get the distraction. I, I, I know it. That's part of the WWE formula. There was a lot about that show that is formulaic from last night. Perfect example, Bully, is the beginning of Monday Night Raw. You have... <laughs> it's amazing what they do. You have... Three different tag teams in the ring yelling and pointing and screaming at each other. That's what they usually do with the women's division on Monday Night Raw. They have the women in there yelling and screaming and arguing, and they go to a commercial break. And then they come back from the commercial break, and somebody decided that we're now going to have a tag match. So you have two established tag teams in the Iconics. One that lately, Bully, you would agree that they're trying to build something with the Iconics. And then you have Sasha and Bailey who this past Friday won the SmackDown, I'm not even SmackDown, the WWE Tag Team Champions, right? They just crowned on Friday. And then for whatever reason, we're going to take two people that hate each other and we're going to put them together and make a tag team with Asuka and Charlotte. Very formulaic. We've seen it before in the WWE. And then you have Asuka and Charlotte beat two established tag teams one who are your tag team champions so i ask you bully why would they do that there's a million different reasons why oscar and charlotte could have lost that match they're thrown together they're not a tag team there's no chemistry between the two there's animosity between the two so there's a million different reasons they could have lost that match but they decided to have them beat two established tag teams How many times have we talked on the show about how the WWE feels about putting two singles stars together to form a tag team for a night, a week, or a month and making them stronger than any established tag team in the company? Many times. Endless times. Asuka tapping out Billy Kay? Is that really that big of a deal? I mean, you say it's you say it like it's not, but to me it is because this is a ta- now. If Billy Kay was having a, a singles match with Oscar, I would say it's not that big of a deal. But when it's a tag team match, to me, bully, it's a big deal. 
Sorry, you're wrong on this one because the I lately, actually since day one, I've been a fan of the Iconics, especially lately. Their comedic timing is incredible. Their promos are incredible. They entertain me. I don't give a shit about what everybody, what anybody else thinks. They entertain me. In the ring, they need to get better. We can all agree on that. If those two women were standing in front of my face, I'd tell them to their face, okay? But I think they know that too. They need reps. They don't get the same reps that everybody else gets. But if if you're looking at Asuka is like top of the food chain worker, Billy Kay really is not. So Asuka getting Billy Kay to tap is not that big of a deal. Even the established tag team like the Iconics still could not give Asuka and Charlotte a thrown together team of fight. I'm in complete agreement. My point is, what's the big deal about Asuka getting Billy Kay to tap? Asuka could probably take grab Billy Kay by the tip of her pinky and bend it back and get her to tap because Oscar is a wrestling machine and Billy Kay is not. My point is don't beat the Iconics. Of course the Iconics are going to lose. That's why they threw them in the match. You see, I see that coming from a mile away. I want them to push the Iconics to the moon because I think the Iconics are as entertaining as the Viking Raiders are, as the Street Profits are. They're as entertaining as any other entertaining group in that company. They really, really are. Um, If anything, I would have done the complete opposite. I would have had Asuka cause Charlotte to lose. That tag match. Well, I mean, why not? I mean, that, that that's what I'm. That's what I mean. And I know I understand your side, bully, and the fact that like Oscar doesn't gain anything from that match last night. I, I and I and I know where you're turning this, and it's absolutely true. Oscar gains nothing. Now, if the Iconics were able to win that match, hey, you know what? That's a really big win for them because not only are they beating Charlotte and Oscar, but they're also beating Sasha and Bailey, who are your uh, women's tag team champions. Look at what we would have done for the Iconics this morning if somehow a misdirection spot happened, or let's just say the mist, just for shits and giggles. Oscar goes to blow the mist at Billy Kay. Billy Kay moves out of the way. She missed Charlotte. Billy Kay rolls up Charlotte one, two, three, and Charlotte kicks at three and a half as opposed to two and a half. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Now, all of a sudden, the Iconics have, one of the Iconics have beaten Charlotte Flair. Oh, my God. You now have animosity between Asuka and Charlotte going into their singles match at the end of the night. Charlotte comes out still with the green mist on her face, still half blind. So you have some heat to get to in the match where, you know, uh, where Asuka could actually be, you know, going, working at her eyes behind the ref's back. There's mileage there. There's a story within a story there. And then when you think Oscar's going to beat Charlotte, that's when the Naya interference happens. And now you get the tit for tat. Now Naya costs Oscar the match and Charlotte gets her win back, thus getting her receipt from earlier on. We got the Iconics over because they have a credible win and a team like the Iconics can scream at the top of their lungs until the cows come home. Tommy Dreamer at 11 o'clock, by the way. Wow. Until the cows come home that we pinned Charlotte Flair. All right, bully. All right. So that's how you book that shit. I, I, I understand. That's why I said there's a million different reasons why Charlotte and Oscar could have lost that match last night. Again, because they're having a match later on that night. They're not a team. There's no chemistry and there's animosity. And you know what? You could have done. Actually, you know, you could have done wonders even for Sasha and Bailey. They just won those tag team titles. You, I, I, I think that's probably something on the back burner. It doesn't matter. But the Iconics is the team that you're trying to build up right now. The Iconics is the team that needs desperately 
Bailey to have a big win on Monday Night Raw. The Iconics should have won that match last night, but they decided to go with Asuka and Charlotte, which is usually what they do when they put two single stars in a team on Monday Night Raw. But again, what are you building towards? You know, Asuka and Charlotte aren't the ones that are wrestling on the pay-per-view on Sunday. Bully, I get it. They're in the main event on Monday Night Raw. They're in the main event on Monday Night Raw. That's a non-title match. Like, if I, I just don't understand what they're trying to accomplish. It makes it makes no sense to me. So you're building towards a pay-per-view. Charlotte's not involved in this pay-per-view at all. But you but really, if you think about it, star Charlotte was the star of Monday Night Raw last night. You had her start the show with a victory, and then you had her end the show with a victory. So and and Charlotte was left standing at the end of the tag match. Oscar was, and it was Charlotte that was left standing at the end of that tag match. And it was Charlotte that was left standing at the end of Monday Night Raw last night. I am a very big believer in whenever you are booking a match or a segment, anything in pro wrestling, that everybody should be able to take a step forward when that segment is over. Everybody should be looked at in a better light. You should either be more loved, more hated. You should be moving forward with your character or your story. What did that six, what did that three-way tag do for anybody last night? It did nothing who, for no one. Nobody. Who moved forward in that match? The only person you could say that moved forward based on what happened even after that match was Charlotte. That's the only person you can make a case for. But really, it absolutely... What's, absolute, What's the case? Because she wound up beating down Asuka after the match. So there was... But but other than that, as far as the victory, it did nothing for anyone. Nothing for anyone. Zero. Zero. Look at what it would have done for the match if the Iconics would have went over. And I'm not saying for the Iconics to go over clean with... With their finish, I'm talking about a good old-fashioned misdirection spot, which would work with Asuka and Charlotte, because they're not a team, they're not on the same page, and then after the misdirection spot, commentary, Asuka could get a look in her eye like, oh well, and commentary's going, did she do it on purpose? Or was it a mistake? Wow, this is going to lead to some real animosity in our main event tonight. Look at that storytelling right yeah. there. Now for three hours, we're shaking our head like, scratching our head. Wow, did Asuka do that on purpose? Did she know she was going to kick Charlotte in the face? Or did she know she was going to spray the mist? Or whatever the misdirection is. Now we're asking ourselves questions. Now we want to see that match. After that tag match, I couldn't. I did not want to see Oscar versus Charlotte anymore. But you're so right, Bully, and it's a great point by you. You could have done so much for the Iconics, and you could have added to the story that was leading to your main event that night. But again, like when the match was over, Charlotte laid out Oscar. So here's Oscar, your WWE champion. You have the confrontation at the beginning that led to a, a six-woman tag match. And then you have, you know, Charlotte layout Asuka bully that led to the main event for the, a non-title match. And then Charlotte beats Asuka. Like, it makes no sense to me. Like, you should be putting over Asuka. Asuka's the one that should be looking good because she's the one that's in one of the main event matches on your pay-per-view Sunday. Like, after, watch, after watching that show, why do I want to see Nia Jax and Asuka? If because anything, you I'm thinking. See Oscar get her revenge on, on Nia Jax. Oh, oh, okay. I guess. I guess that, that's it. That's the thought process. Since Nia cost Oscar the match that she kicked out, that she kicked out at two and three quarters on. Since Nia cost her the match, now we're supposed to think, oh my God, there's so much animosity between Oscar and Nia. I want to see this so bad. Is that the way you feel? Not at all, because to me, coming off of that show last night, Asuka's not the superior athlete. She's not the top dog. She's not the one at the top of the mountain. doesn't matter that she's holding on to the title. Again, a title that was handed to her from Becky Lynch, not earned. Charlotte's the one that comes out of that show last night saying, I'm the top wrestler in the company. 
And this is where Charlotte is head and shoulders above the rest in the way she is booked. The wait is finally over. Basketball is back. 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 22 teams, the magical 22, are heading down to Orlando. They had to find a way to build this to come to an agreement. I think an amazing job by the NBA. For coast-to-coast coverage of the return of basketball, including expert analysis and play-by-play, tune to NBA Radio, Series 207, XM86, and listen at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. And he's always given us our time. He's been a friend of the show for years, and that is the legendary Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you this morning? Life is well, my friend. Life is well. Uh, Good to see and you. I have, Thanks for oh, coming on this morning. Thank you, man. I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the invitation, Bully. After what we went through this week, I didn't think I'd ever hear from you again. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was pretty funny, and I'm, I'm sure we'll tell the story by the time by the time you leave. But yes, that was entertaining. That is a good that is a good tease. But uh, obviously, Eric, you're the host of 83 Weeks. You do it with Conrad Thompson. It's available uh, Westwood Podcast everywhere that you get podcasts. And I know you're having a lot of fun doing that, and it keeps you busy. Obviously, especially right now. Yeah, you know it it really does. Uh, it keeps me pretty busy. The podcast itself is. You know, not that difficult, really. Uh, it's one show a week and, you know, probably spend an hour and a half or two hours prepping for it and two hours doing it. So that's that's more of a labor of love. I enjoy doing it. Um, but what's really been fun lately is this adfreeshows.com kind of platform we've created over at Patreon. And, you know, just trying to think of new ways to create fresh content, original content to keep that baby alive and moving well. So uh, I'm busier than I ever thought I would be with this endeavor. That's right. great. One of the things that that I am not up to speed on and just does not make sense to me, and I want to bring you back to when you were appointed like the head of creative at SmackDown, and then you were there for like a cup of coffee, and then all of a sudden you weren't there anymore, and there were there was scuttlebutt that. Well, the rating wasn't so great, so they needed to take it out on somebody and yada, yada. I have no idea what the truth is. I know that the rating isn't very great right now. I know you and Bruce get along very well. Like, what's the, can you help me fill in the blank over there or help fans fill in the blank? Like, what kind of went wrong? I don't think you were giving a, given a fair opportunity to succeed, which we've seen you do in the past. You know, first of all, anybody that subscribes to the theory that I was let go to be you know, made an example of because the ratings, you know, dropped. I, mean, I was there for two weeks, right? The the, the premiere show, which did <clears throat> just under four million viewers. You know, the second week, I think we were somewhere just under three million viewers. Um, and if you look at the ratings post or pre-COVID, I should say, you know, they've been hovering in that 2.4, 2.5 million viewer range prior to, again, the COVID and taping shows in front of no, no audience and things like that. I, I, I think that's just the tendency of the, you know, the peripheral wrestling audience um, to look for a conspiracy theory or some hidden meaning behind certain things. You know, it's really simple in my opinion. Um, and I've had a long time to kind of analyze it. Um, I went in with my eyes, you know, I won't say wide open because I really, I, I underestimated how big of a challenge it was going to be for me to adapt to WWE's culture and their, their system. It's a big company. It's a, it has a very well-defined corporate culture and I've always been able to adapt pretty easily to almost any environment that I've been in since I was a kid. And I, I overestimated my ability to adapt and I underestimated what a challenge it was going to be for anybody to adapt to that particular environment and, and culture. Um, I just didn't, it was a chemistry issue. You know, there was no knockdown drag out, you know, fights. It wasn't, it was anything like that. It was just, I think, you know, Vince probably had this man probably had one, um, expectation. I, I certainly was going in with expectations, but I don't think our expectations were necessarily aligned. And as a result, it just didn't work out, you know, no hard feelings. I still respect Vince McMahon and consider him, you know, we're friendly, if not friends. And there's a lot of people at WWE I am close with, including Brad who's, or Bruce, who's probably one of my best friends. 
So it, it wasn't anything personal. There were no knockdown drag up fights. It was just a bad fit. And that, that was on me, by the way. It wasn't up to WWE to figure out a way to adapt to Eric Bischoff. It was up to Eric Bischoff to figure out a way to adapt to, to WWE. And, and I failed to do that. Nobody else failed. I did. What, what was the what would you say was the most challenging part of trying to adapt real quickly? Like, where did you not gel immediately with Vince? I, I think and, and I'll you know, this has nothing to do with why I was probably let go. But I think Vince has one very specific view of creative. Um, he has a formula, I think, that he carries around in his head. And he's very um, rigid when it comes to that formula, what he likes and what he doesn't like, the way things should be and shouldn't be. Um, and I'm, I probably don't subscribe to a lot of that. I'm, you know, I'm fairly critical of the product. I was listening just a few minutes before you guys got on and talking about how last week they ended the show with a cliffhanger and this week they completely forgot all about it. To me, that, that stuff goes, you know, it, it drives me crazy. It drives me absolutely crazy. There are so many things that I think are very fundamental things that could be improved upon. And to your point, your discussion a few minutes before I jumped on, if you look at any successful episodic scripted show out there, you know, my favorite one right now is Killing Eve. You know, that, that's, that's, take Ozark, take Billions, take anything that's really successful. If it's, a, if it's an episodic scripted show, they always remind you up front. Not only are they reminding you of what happened last week, that's a small part of it. So the argument that people have that say, yeah, but everybody that watches, you know, they watched last week. Bullshit. Sorry. Don't know what the rules are here. Nonsense. You know, the reason they're reminding you of what happened last week isn't because they're afraid you missed the show last week. It's because they're telling you what to focus on this week. What is going to be the most important thing you're going to watch over the next 60 minutes of that particular episode? They tell you how to watch the show. Wrestling used to do that. Bully, we did that in TNA for a long time. We always recapped last week and set up and previewed this week as a way to keep viewers invested in the story and the characters. Yeah, in case they forgot. But in more often than not, it was just telling them what to watch for. And we don't do it today. We just put this stuff out there and can't remember what we did last week and maybe it mattered maybe it didn't and we're not going to remind you anyway so even if we're right nobody knows it's it's kind of bizarre simple you, you actually mentioned a word that bully and i talk a lot about and that's formulaic and it seems like a lot with wwe programming is formulaic and you mentioned how you work with the wwe didn't last long but you know busted open changed a lot when bully became a part of it because bully's very talented so i play to his strengths i would think that when you hire an eric bischoff you want to play to eric bischoff's strengths like there's a reason why they brought you in i don't understand bringing somebody in from the outside but you're going to have to do it the way that we've been doing then why make a change at all and i think that's a fair statement you know across any business if you're hiring an individual because that individual's track record or, or or other indications as to why he or she may fit into your organization. Yeah. You want to take advantage of their strengths. Look, I, I don't think I was there long enough. And again, I'm, that's my responsibility. I think to, to be honest and fair about this whole thing, had I been more aggressive, had I kind of big footed my way into the process, had I been a little louder, um, had I been a little bit more aggressive, things might have turned out differently. But despite the narrative that's out there, that's just not really my style. It took me a good year and a half to really get a feel for where WCW was in 94, 95, to begin to get a handle on what to do in 96. You know, it's not, you know, you don't walk in, you know, and especially, and I'm not making excuses, all right? I'm, I'm not. It's going to sound like I am, but I'm not. But you take someone who's, who's coming in from outside of the company that, doesn't really know the talent. Yes, I know their character names and yes, I know who they are, but I don't know that talent. It takes a while, especially when you only see them once a week, really, um, to really get to feel, as you said, Dave, you, you, you discovered Bully's strengths. You saw where those strengths could be an asset and you took advantage of those. But that takes a little time. 
you're course. probably still learning what some of those strengths are. As Bully is probably still learning some of those strengths as he gets more and more experience doing this kind of a show. But for me to walk in there and, 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 you know, immediately, you know, see the strengths and the weaknesses in a bunch of characters that I get to spend maybe 20 minutes a week with it was unrealistic to, to a degree. Same thing with my writing team. You know, that team was, uh, was on kind of shaky grounds when I got there and needed a lot of work um, just be, because of administrative type things, you know, different writers being assigned to different shows and not really being sure who's writers on your team. And there was a lot of crazy stuff going on preparing for that premiere in, in October. And it just, you know, obviously it took me too long to figure it out. And being able to work with you behind the scenes and seeing what your strengths were and knowing how the WWE machine works, I can, I would bet a dollar to say that your strengths were never given an opportunity to succeed because one of your strengths was, was I always thought you were an incredible listener. You listened to everybody in the room. You listened to everybody's opinion, everybody's thought, and you were good at extracting. Let's take this. Let's take this. Let's take this. And I saw you put over Earl Hebner and I saw you shut down Hulk Hogan. I saw it all and in between. And I don't think in the WWE's way of doing, doing the uh, business, you were able to do that. Like you said at the beginning, Vince has a vision, and if and if you don't agree with that vision, then we're probably going to be off to a bad start. So that's just my take on it. I might be wrong, but I don't think so. I want to get into the rules and regulations tweet, um, and especially the referee. You know, we have been talking about this for weeks now. It's always been a pet peeve of mine in pro wrestling, obviously, because we are a form of entertainment in where we can be creative and work within the rules at any given moment, and we can make things work. Lately, the rules are there are no rules. <laughs> the referees are there for whatever reason, you know, whatever purpose it serves for the company to count three or to raise a hand. We have referees doing things that they should not be doing. You chimed in on social media and said, hey, this is the discussion that we had on 83 weeks. Also, how do you feel about the rules as it pertains to wrestling matches these days? And how do you feel about the referees doing their job or maybe doing their job so much that they're becoming a little bit too visual in the ring? It, it is interesting and it's it's an observation i've had for a long time but i think as i watch more and more of the current product i i, I tend to see more and more of the same problem look professional wrestling is has always been um a a, a semi-sport meaning there are rules there are regulations there are, there is a framework there there's a contextualization of what happens inside of that ring and to 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 your point, Billy, we've gotten we've gotten to the point now where it's just always a free for all. It's always no holds barred. It there are no, there are no rules, and without any rules, there's nothing for as a heel. There's there's nothing for me to do to get heat. I can get more violent, but it's hard to cheat when there's no rules to cheat against. It's hard to cheat when nobody's enforcing the rules that supposedly exist. You're right. A referee is nothing but a moving potted plant. It's a prop in the ring to make it kind of look like an athletic contest, but it looks like an athletic contest with no rules. And I think people, much like we talked about at the beginning of this, this segment with me, you, know, you have to tell people how to watch the show. Part of telling them how to watch the show is by creating a framework or contextualization rules, call it whatever you want, so that they understand and can anticipate, you know, what happens when somebody breaks those rules. And it's just simple. I mean, and you're right. Right now, it's just action for the sake of action. It's supposed to be a competition, but how can you have a competition with no rules? Your referee is supposed to be there to be the, the, the final arbiter and the judge, and the referee doesn't really matter anymore. So why am I watching this? It's like going to a movie and watching a two-hour car chase. As much as I may love car chases, I don't want to watch one for two hours when it doesn't matter to me who catches who first. I don't care how many times things blow up. I don't care how many times cars roll over. If I don't care about why somebody's chasing somebody and what the stakes are, which is kind of you have to understand the rules in order to get that point to get to that point in professional wrestling, then why am I watching action for the sake of action? I guess that's it. 
Yeah, and it, and it's a concern not just in the WWE but across the board, and 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 it's confusing to me. And I don't know exactly when it started, but it's very difficult to get through a match when it seems to be happening in every match that we watch. I'll tell you what, I, and this is just you know my opinion means nothing. I, I'm I'm irrelevant in terms of the current product to the extent that I barely watch it. I I, I will once the crowds come back and it kind of looks like a, a the wrestling shows that I've always enjoyed watching. I will be back. This is not a criticism of the current product or the people in it. Well, it is a criticism of the current product, but not the people in it, not the effort that people are making, mm-hmm. not the companies that are putting it out, not the networks that are carrying it. It's just I can't stand watching people wrestle in front of no crowd. I'm just not going to do it. I'd rather bang my head on the bumper of my truck. It's, the, it, it's less painful for less less long a period of time. But I think where this all became more noticeable, it's been going on for a long time, but I think it's become far more noticeable because we've now kind of subscribed to the theory that we have to put on the most athletic, most high risk, most high flying, you know, most innovative, holy crap moments, you know, on our weekly television shows at the expense of characters and story. So, you know, if, if the audience is reacting to the, oh, my gosh, did you see that bump? Oh, my gosh, did you see that move? And, and, and producers and talent are putting that out there because they think they're satisfying that audience, and they probably are. That's one thing. But if they're doing it at the expense of characters and story, I think you're alienating the vast majority of your audience. You're not alienating. You're just not satisfying them. I, I think that we agree that characters and stories are paramount and it should be the very first thing you're thinking about when, you know, when, when putting a product together. Admittedly, you don't watch the product that much. You were there for a little while. Who do you believe, based on what you see or maybe hear or in talks with Conrad or Bruce, who do you believe is the most truly over person in the WWE right now and why? I, I don't think anybody stands out, and that's another uh, that's another challenge. I think there's a lot of really talented people there, but either by default or design, I don't know which it is. You know, it could be a little both. I don't know. I think over the past five or ten years, there has been a decision, intentionally or unintentionally, to make WWE the star and everybody else the co-star. And when WWE is the star and everybody else is the co-star, the co-stars can become interchangeable. And I understand that to a degree from a business point of view, you know, and I'm sure I've never talked to Vince McMahon about this or really anybody else other than maybe Bruce briefly. Um, Go back to, you know, JR just had a podcast about Stone Cold Steve Austin walking out of the WWE. Imagine the position that that put WWE in. You've got your whole company built up around one guy. All your marketing, all your promotion, all your plans built up around one guy who decides for whatever reason, justifiably or not, he's going home or he gets hurt or he joins a monastery or whatever. You know, when you build your entire company around one guy and that one guy is no longer available, it does take a while to rebuild and it's a problem. Now, again, I don't know if it was by default or by design, but right now you've got a lot of top talent, any one of them can be interchanged for the other on any given pay-per-view and no one will really care. Who could have you interchanged over and who could have you interchanged for Goldberg? Nobody. Goldberg was a unique character. There was nobody that there was nobody that you could have plug and played. And I think you've got, I'm going to be careful. I don't use the wrong words here because sometimes I do. And I hear these things back and I want to kick myself in the head for saying it. But I think, WWE, for example, has become very homogenized. It's sterilized. It's made for mass consumption. It's supported largely by the advertising community and therefore has to be somewhat sanitized and has to be somewhat sterile because if you offend advertisers, you're out of business, right? And and wrestling by its inherent nature is a little tricky anyway. It's very colorful, over-the-top, glorified, funny, sometimes not so funny, humorous, sometimes not so humorous, same thing, I guess, violence. It's, it is what it is. So if you're as big as WWE, you have to be kind of aware uh, of that and keep your product as PG as you possibly can so as not to offend your advertisers who support you. Um, 
But at the same time, you have to create really unique characters. And I think if you look at, and again, this will sound wrong. It sounds like criticism. It's not because their formula is working for them. Pre-corona, they're a $5 billion a year market cap company. So as much as we as viewers may go, oh, I don't really like that anymore. Guess what? For the rest of the world, it's working pretty well. But I, I think the product has become so homogenized, nobody really stands out. They all come out of the same kind of think factory, the, the same design factory. You don't have a lot of diversity of thought when it comes to character and presentation. It all kind of fits into this nice little thing called the WWE filter. And everything that comes out of it kind of walks, talks, smells, talks, wrestles, and thinks the same. You know, it's it's funny, Eric, as you're talking, I, I live in New Jersey and for a long time we had a successful hockey franchise, the, the New Jersey Devils, that won a hell of a lot of Stanley Cups and sold out the Meadowlands, you know, usually on a, on a, on a daily basis. But they had that same kind of formula. They never promoted the players. They promoted the brand and the logo. So when you saw, you know, um, flyers and when you saw banners and you saw billboards, it just had that Devils logo. The problem is, is all they had was that hardcore fan base. They had a very devoted hardcore fan base, but nobody from the mainstream ever liked the Devils because they didn't have any stars that they promoted. For God's sakes, they had the greatest, maybe the greatest goalie of all time and Martin Brodeur but you didn't even know what the guy looked like because he wouldn't be on a billboard. And I think in a lot of ways, that's the WWE. Pro wrestling has a very, very hardcore fan base. But right now, my fear is, especially doing this show, that it doesn't have that mainstream appeal like it did 20, 25 years ago. No, and, and, and again, I think if you look back, when was the last time that WWE created and built a Stone Cold Steve Austin level star? or an Undertaker-level star, or a Rock-level star. When was the last time? It was John Cena, probably in 2002. That's 18 freaking years ago, folks. Yeah. Now, John became, you know, that that Stone Cold Steve Austin-level star and an Undertaker star. And by no means am I trying to compare who's more important and get into that debate. But I think, arguably, John Cena, for a long, long time, was the guy in WWE, and that that company was built somewhat around him. And by the way, building the company around a guy like John Cena elevates the heels that are in the ring against him because the bigger the John Cena star gets, guess what? The bigger the next heel that's going to work with him, his star gets. So th there's a lot to be said for building up that one star. It's a little risky, as we said, but guess what? You need to do it. Right now, there is none. There are a lot of great talents, and I hate to even say that because it's not their fault, but it's a fact. You can plug and play anybody that you want to in that roster in any given pay-per-view, and if you put a little bit of effort behind it, which is for the most part what we see, it works just as well as it did last month or the month before that because there's nobody that stands out. It's been 18 years, folks. You, you can say it, Eric, because we've been saying it on the show, and, and I have not been afraid to say it. You know, you, you talked about how the night Steve Austin walked out on the WWE and building an entire company around that guy. That had to be like a very eye-opening experience for Vince, because I, being there that night, I watched the scramble for what do we do now? So you have an Austin, you have a Rock, you have a John Cena, all of these names that are bigger than the WWE brand, guys that at any time can say no to Vince. And as you know, Vince doesn't like to hear no. So if now they design their superstars, so we're only going to get them to a certain level where nobody can tell us no. Roman can't tell us no. Seth can't tell us no. Charlotte can't tell us no. We're going to control every ounce of their momentum moving forward, which is fine and dandy because it's, Vince, it's Vince's bat and his ball. But if you only let that talent get to that level, you will never have another Goldberg. You will never have another Austin, another Rock. And therefore, you will never have the wrestling business as big as it was once before. That's just my take. No, and I, I, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. We're, we're really seeing the same thing in different ways. Um, and, and maybe that's, you know, I've, I've said before, um, 
you know, becoming successful is a real challenge. It, it, it is, you know, the odds of being successful in any new venture, any new business are so slim. The odds are stacked against you, but that's not the hardest part. The hardest part is staying successful. And to a certain point, to a certain degree, I think WWE has become a victim of their own success. They, they are now feeling the pressure of the weight that they've created by building this, this amazing company called WWE. And in order to manage that amazing company called WWE, you make certain sacrifices along the way. And having you know complete control is one of those things that I think I can understand from a business point of view. But I think we're seeing the downside. And Bully, you're, you're right on the money. You know, we, as long as there's not somebody that people can get excited, an Undertaker, a Ric Flair, a Stone Cold Steve Austin, a Hulk Hogan, a Rock, John Cena, whoever it is, if you don't build that star and build your company around that star and help other people get over, you know, uh, you're just going to flatline. And we've been seeing flatlines now for a long, we're not even seeing flatlines anymore. We're seeing a deterioration of audience and there's other reasons for it. But look, if you came out with your, if there was that next rock, if there was that stone cold Steve Austin, it doesn't have to mean you, you, it doesn't mean that you have to plug him in right now and he's ready to go. But if there was that one character that we were all getting behind and we followed his or her journey, much like we followed Becky Lynch's last year, we're following that journey to go from kind of, I'm not going to say obscurity, that's not fair, but kind of, you know, middle of the road, you're not really mm -hmm. that big of a, you know, of, of a draw right now. We watched Becky Lynch emerge from almost out of nowhere on social media and then leverage that into her television persona in a really great way. Well, we got excited about that because we watched that journey. We were able to follow her week to week to week. And every week she got more interesting and was involved in more intense situations. That's how you build a star. But unfortunately, you know, that, that was relatively short term. You know, Eric, you were able to catch fire with WCW. I, I don't know if fans really realize how low the ratings and attendance were for WCW until it really caught fire with you. Could that happen with AEW, with them having a TV deal, with them being on TNT? Could the next big star maybe come from AEW and not necessarily WWE? I mean, sure it could. You know, I, I, do, I have watched, you know, off and on some of AEW's product. Again, I don't watch it now just because I can't stand watching wrestling with no crowd. But look, they're, they're, they're a new company. They've been around for, what, eight months now? Um, the, the, the new car smell is still there. Uh, so let's see what happens a year from now, because they're going to learn. They're going to evolve. They're going to try certain things that work really well. They're going to try certain things that don't work quite as well. They're going to experiment with different characters. They're going to find their way. But, you know, I don't, I don't expect them to find their way today. What I, what I am a little bit um, aware of is two things. One is, again, this sounds like a criticism. I don't mean it to be. But with the exception of a few characters that I've seen in AEW, and admittedly, maybe there's more of them now and I'm just, you know, not tuned in. But there's a sameness there, too. There's a look in a vibe that's kind of consistent across the roster with one or two exceptions. Cody being one, MJF being another, probably a couple more. But other than that, there's a real sameness to most of the talent that I've been exposed to on a limited basis. I would like to see them embrace a, a little more diversity when it comes to characters. I'm not talking about social diversity, but, you know, give me something that feels really unique. Give me a Bill Goldberg when there's no Bill Goldbergs around. You know what I mean? Um, that's one thing. The other thing is if you just look at AEW's ratings and you, you know, it's unfair to compare AEW or any other program right now to Nitro because we're two different worlds, two different generations. Yes. TV was two different things. But one thing that was, that is noticeable to me when we launched Nitro, we were still learning on the job. I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted it to be, but it was still a lot of learning on the job. But we started out here, probably started out with a 2.3 or 2.5 on a night when USA uh, was having a dog show. So WWE wasn't even on. And we gradually, over time, over a year, year and a half, two years, grew that number, consistently grew that number. What I've seen AEW do is start out at 1.5 million people and consistently lose that audience to the point where they're pre-COVID flatlining around 
or leveling out, flatlining sounds horrible, leveling out around 900,000 viewers, eight, 900,000. Well, if you start here and you drop and you level out, that's a, that's a different picture than starting here and growing each and mm -hmm. every week. They tell two different stories. One story says they came, they saw, they left, 30 or 40% of them. Another story tells you they come, they see, they keep coming back, and they tell their friends. One's a story of growth. One's a story of kind of a limited audience. So it, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the future to kind of change the direction of, of, of their trajectory. Eric, um, before we let you go, uh, obviously, we appreciate you being on the show today. Always very, very interesting to speak with you. I appreciate all of your takes, and I think you're I think your 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 honesty is refreshing, and I think sometimes you're afraid of your own honesty, and I wish you wouldn't be because uh, honest is good, especially on this show. But when we started the show today, Dave, you know, had mentioned to me you were going to be on, and I said I was going to give you a piece of my mind because we have to take we have to air out some dirty laundry, and we're going to do it right now. All right, you were talking <laughs> shit about me on eighty three weeks, weren't you? <laughs> I gotta I'm going to tell this story real quick, and I promise I won't bore your listeners to death, but I got up the other morning. I can't remember what morning it was. It might have been Monday morning or last week, whatever it was. And I, I look at my – first thing I did is you know, I hadn't even had my coffee, and I look at my uh, text messages, and it's from Bully going, you're burying me. What the fuck? Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Satellite radio. <laughs> you're, you're burying me, and he shows me some posts of these things, these awful things I said about Bubba. And I'm looking up as a text back. I said, bully, I've never said anything that can even be twisted and turned and shaped into something that sounds like a negative comment. Well, as it turns out, I was talking about Bubba the Love Sponge. On <laughs> and I will tell you, uh, you know, I was very honest about my feelings about Bubba the Love Sponge on 83 <laughs> Weeks, up and including the point where I told Conrad, even at my advanced age, Right. I would really look forward to a couple of shots of Jameson, a dark, small room with no witnesses and me and Bubba just just to kick him in the skull, you know. And then somehow a listeners of 83 weeks decided to turn that into, you know, heat on bully, you know, like I'm burying bully. And honestly, God, bully was doing the show with you guys. I'm texting him going, dude, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. <laughs> come on. I'll come on the show right now. I'll clear this up. I'll pull from 83 weeks. I'll get Conrad to testify under freaking health. What else do I need to do? <laughs> it was funny. That's was amazing. Funny. That's we got to get Conrad on one day, Dave. We, we got to get him on again. I want to bury him. Uh, we, we can get Conrad on again. He, he's a fan of the show. I mean, you know, I know he's a fan of Tommy and Mark. I don't know if it's a fan. Of course he's a fan of yours. We have to get Conrad I don't Conrad care if he on. is or if he isn't. It makes for better radio if he's not a fan of mine. Me I'm and, sure he is. Me and Conrad is. head to head. And, and, the, and, and, and Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, but the latest edition of 83 Weeks, you talk about Slammiversary from 2010, correct? Yeah, we did. We did. And it was a fun show to go back. It's interesting. You know, so one of the reasons I love doing this show so much is it forces me to go back and look at things I've since forgotten long about, you know, people bust my balls all the time for saying, Oh, he always says he doesn't recall. Well, you know, I've only produced probably 10,000 hours of wrestling <laughs> over the course of 30 years. Forgive me if it's all kind of one big kaleidoscope of stuff. And yeah, there are moments that stand out in my mind, but like somebody says, well, you know, how much did you sign, you know, such and such talent for in 1987? Like I've got that information off the top of my head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I do enjoy going back and, and seeing events and, and looking at them almost with fresh eyes. And in, in fact, in many cases, guys, I hate to admit this, but it's true. Oftentimes when I was, whether it was nitro or a pay-per-view or TNA or WWE, whatever I was involved in, you know, I was busy doing it. I wasn't sitting in a monitor watching. By the way, I think that's a bad way to watch a show anyway, because you're not watching it the way people at home watch it. I really, you know, I don't get off on watching stuff on a monitor at all. I don't think that tells you anything. But, you know, you're busy producing it, and then I I move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. So now I go back and look at Slammiversary in, in 2010. It's like I'm seeing it for the very first time, and I've got a fresh 
perspective of it because I've been away from it long enough to have a fresh perspective. And I thought it was a great show. You know, it got a lot of heat and it got thumbs up and thumbs down and all these people with their different opinions that don't really matter to me. But the show, there were some flaws in it. There were some things I really didn't think were as good as they could have been. That's usually the case with every show and probably the one you're doing right now. You always go back and go, oh, we just could have done this a little differently. But overall, I thought it was a damn good show. And I really think, and I've said this to Bully, there was like that, a good three-year period where I thought the best wrestling came from TNA right around that time. And, you know, you even look at some of the shows and some of the crowds and the ratings. And, you know, at the time, people were saying that the ratings weren't very good. Boy, you look back at those ratings now from 10 years ago, they were pretty damn good for TNA. I mean, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's not really apples to apples, so you got to be a little careful. But, Bully, you remember the show that uh, we did called Reaction. It was like a, a one-hour show that aired after Impact from 11 at night to midnight. That show was delivering consistently seven or eight or 900,000 viewers. And now you go, well, wow, you know, that's a pretty big number. There are people throwing parties for each other when they hit seven or eight or 900,000 viewers. Back then, it was considered abysmal. So it's things have things have changed but i like you you go back and look at some of the talent you look at beer money when i think you know yep. the tag team they were probably at their peak you look at aj styles kazarian chris daniels you know samoa joe you know, then you had your bigger names you know bully devon sting uh booker t for a while you know mick foley kurt angle ken anderson obviously hulk hogan there were some massive names there. And I think the, the frustration and the reason people think I have a bad taste in my mouth about TNA is because they screwed me out of a hundred grand or whatever it was. That's not it. It's the missed opportunity that it represented because I think that especially going back and watching it, you know, it's like, Oh my God, there was an opportunity to, to do something really, really big that could exist today. Had people made some of the right decisions and choices because they were choices. Some of the greatest matches are come from T. We talk about all Kurt Angle's Kurt Angle's greatest matches, I think, were in TNA over the WWE. That's just my opinion. Eric, it's always Dave, a pleasure Dave, all talking. All I know is this. I just I just want to throw this in. All I know is this. When that stupid biker gang was around, they were doing <laughs> higher ratings on that show than AEW or NXT. That's all I got. <laughs> I, I, I listen, I I was doing this show with Aces and Eights. Aces and Eights rig. It got a little NWO-ish towards the end, but I I Eric, thank you so much again. 83 weeks available anywhere you get your podcast. You and Conrad do a phenomenal job. And Eric, you're always so great with your time. Thank you so much for the interview today. Appreciate it. Love you guys. Thank you very much for the invite. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast.